0: And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 15. We are beginning a seven-week series, one that will take us all the way to Christmas. Now, I got, a, I got a confession. Not really a confession, but I want you to confess if you've done this. How many of you already have your Christmas tree up, out of curiosity? Anyone have their Christmas? You already have your Christmas tree up? That's not, that's not clap-worthy. No. No. Who else has, you have your Christmas tree up? Oh, well, <laughs> this week, all right. I think us Floridians, like, you know, we're, we're stifled from fall, you know, like we don't really get a fall, and so uh, I think it's like we, we just crave some sort of holiday spirit. Yeah, I know, I know, Brian, that's how I feel. Well, we are in a series, regardless, seven weeks leading up to our, our, our Christmas, uh, our Christmas Sunday celebration there at the end of December, and I thought what we would do to end this year is to take a look in the Old Testament at the blessed people. So we have had a year-long theme uh, looking at what it means to be a blessed people who bless people. Uh, We've taken time to unpack that from Scripture. We've taken time to engage where we live and work and play in being that blessed people. And I thought it would be very helpful, helpful for us to end the year by looking at the story of what I'm going to suggest is the the first blessed people. These people who God chose and and saved and redeemed, and, and, and to watch their story I think is so important, number one, to understand who our predecessors are in the faith, but also to understand how we can live out what it means to be a blessed people in the way that Israel did not. What's also fascinating about the story of Israel is that often, I don't know about you, but when I read through the Old Testament, there's sometimes a little bit of a disconnect. It feels feels distant. It feels, uh, it's it's hard to understand how these stories and these people and and these laws and all the things that are part of the Old Testament relate to us today. You ever felt that way before? Right through the Old Testament, like what's happening here? What's going on? So my hope is also that in these seven weeks, we're gonna visit just seven key texts that I believe not only tell the story of Israel, but also help us better understand what a blessed people looks like. Because so I think when we understand what this blessed people looks like and the expectations and the implications of that from Scripture and from our Lord, I believe it will help us better by faith live out God's calling for us today. So we're beginning. In one of my favorite stories of Scripture, in Genesis 15, we're looking just at six verses today on the exchange between Abraham and God, where God covenants with Abraham. And my prayer is that as we unpack this text this morning, as we look deeply into these six verses, that we'll see a truth that is certainly simple to us, and definitely not foreign, but one that I believe is life-changing and that is following God requires faith. Following God back thousands of years ago and even today requires our faith. Father, we need your grace this morning to understand, to hear, to be able to not only just hear, but to listen and obey. And I pray that you would give us that grace this morning. pray that we would be moved our hearts would be stirred. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Genesis chapter 15, we begin our story. We pick up in our story, if you will, by, by this really simple way to describe what's happened over basically a few years. It says, after these things. So verse 1 of chapter 15 just simply says, after these things, I think it would be so important for us just to understand what these things were. So when we're, when we're looking at what these things are, we're understanding that, that, that something has transpired that is certainly important or dynamic to this story. What we find is that beginning in Genesis chapter 12, God comes and meets with Abraham. And he meets with Abraham to share with him a promise that Abraham's seed was going to be like none other. And essentially what happens in that moment is that God makes an offer to Abraham that I believe is extraordinary. And that offer is that a childless old man is going to have an innumerable amount of offspring. And what happens is with that promise, Abraham is sent on a journey that includes quite the transition. This, this. listen to what happens here. We find that after these things, not just this promise made to him, God calls Abraham to leave his home and to go on a 700-mile journey. Now, 700 miles to us today seems, you know, somewhat palatable because we have cars, we have planes and trains where we can get around. Can you imagine trying to leave with not just your own immediate family, but your whole like extended family and march 700 miles by foot? Like, can you imagine what that would look like? Just just the time it would take, the exhaustion, the, the emotional strain. I mean, like just getting to church on Sundays, I, I feel like is like going to like blow up the Thompson home. So I can't imagine... <laughs> Going 700 miles with Nolan by foot. I mean, (laughs) Lord, help us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Then what's crazy is that on this trip, he goes to Egypt, and what we find is that Abraham almost loses his wife. And this is significant because um, God had promised that Abraham would have a son, or at least an offspring, and now all of a sudden, the, the one who would provide that for him is in jeopardy. His wife is almost taken from him. Then you have this, this moment where he, he and Lot, his nephew, the one who they started traveling with, they, they depart. So now his travel buddy, his companion, he, he's, he's departing from it. And, and if you ever had to like have, you know, when you're with someone you love and, and departing, it's not easy. But what's even crazier is that a few years later, What does Abram have to do for Lot? He has to go and rescue him. So here you have between chapters 12 and 15, or excuse me, 12 through 14, a lot of things happening. Like it's not just like God gave this promise to Abraham on a Tuesday. Now here we are on a Thursday. Abraham has traveled. He's fought. He's lost. He's experienced quite a bit of life. Hard life from Genesis 12 to where we pick up in verse 1 where it says after these things. And I share that with you because I want to not not just give you some sympathy for this man, but to understand the context in which God makes to Abraham an extraordinary offer. Because if you notice here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And here's what God says to him. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. God offers him something that is truly extraordinary. And I think sometimes when we are offered something that is truly extraordinary, there's that maybe inner skeptic in us that, that questions, is this too good to be true? You ever felt that way? Like, you've gotten an offer that you're like, "Uh, I don't know. When I first got married, uh, Megan and I, we lived in in Greenville, South Carolina, and there was a car dealership called Kia of Greer. And if anyone had lived in South Carolina, and I'm not sure, it's been a long time now, but they had this obnoxious... Uh, advertisement that, whether it was on TV or on the radio, it was always some guy, and get ready, he goes, Key of Greer! And it was always so startling. It was like, you're never going to believe what's happening That Key of Greer! And every time it would come on, we'd laugh and just kind of mock the dude. Well, one day, maybe because I'm naive, maybe because I'm not a skeptic, I'm an optimist, the man from Key of Greer came on the radio, and he said, you know, this is Key of Greer, and we have a deal that you can't believe. And basically, the deal was that they were, this, was, this is what I was hearing, that they, that they would take any vehicle of yours and give you $10,000 towards the purchase of a new car. And I was like, I, if you all saw my car back then... <laughs> Someone, I probably would have to pay someone to take that, not receive money for it. So I was sitting there in my 1993 Ford Tempo thinking, I can get $10,000 for this. So I was like, I'm going down to Kiev Greer. So I drive down to Kiev Greer and I roll up and I was like, hey, I'm here for the deal. And they're like, what? What deal? And I was like, you know, Kiev Greer, $10,000 for your car. And they look at me and they're like, okay, where's your car? And I was like, I point out there, I was like, it's that Tempo. And uh, he said, oh, here's the deal. He's like, we don't actually give you $10,000 for your car. He's like, if you buy one of our like $40,000, you know, new off the lot, you know, whatever brand or whatever line of car, we'll give you, if you trade in your car, we'll give you $10,000 off that. I was like, wait, you're telling me that I can't get $10,000 for this and the only way I can is if I buy a $40,000 car? They're like, yeah. I was like, peace out. So I drove, I drove back to, to where Megan was working, and I was like, hey, guess what I did today? And she's like, what? I was like, I went to Kiev Greer, and she's like, Ken, why? <laughs> and I was like, they gave an offer that was too good. And she almost finished my sentence, what, to be true? And I was like, yeah. So we we we've all experienced those moments where we've heard offers that really when we get into them, that they they seem too good to be true. And And I'm not saying, like, hear me out here. I'm not saying that God is making an offer to Abraham that's too good to be true. But think about the extraordinary nature of what he is telling Abraham. He is telling him that he, God, is going to not only be his protection, but be the means of his very provision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. And what does he say? Your what? Your reward shall be very great. Now, what is this reward he's talking about? Well, we've we've quickly highlighted this. In Genesis 12, verse 1, God tells Abraham, you are going to have not just an innumerable amount of offspring, it's going to be an unbelievably influential amount of offspring. Like you're going to have a seed that will bless the world. And now here Abram is, years later, Going through extreme hardships, right? Traveling across the countryside, fighting, losing family, almost losing his wife. And guess what he does not have? He doesn't have a child. He's still childless. And he's certainly not any younger. Yet God understands this concern and he says, Abraham, don't worry. Fear not. I'm your protection. What's interesting, this word, this, this phrase of not fearing, is also used in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And I, I just want to read this to you because the context of this, I think, is so fitting. In Deuteronomy 20, it says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. He says, Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. We learn that in this circumstance in Deuteronomy 20 this same idea is being used on the on the precipice of war. So that 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 inner that turmoil and that and I'm sure the dread of facing war God tells his people don't worry don't panic I'm your shield and now he's telling Abram that same thing. And even though it may not be likened to a physical war I think we can certainly sympathize that Abraham is experiencing probably in an internal emotional war. All these promises of God are just like sitting there and that they're not fulfilled. He says that I will be your protection. I will be your provision. And look how Abraham responds. He says, Oh Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, not my own child. Abram says, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. You You can kind of feel Abraham's tension here, can't you? Like he's frustrated. He's looking at God. He's like, I don't get what's going on. I don't understand why you made a promise to me. And now I've had to go through, and excuse my expression here, literally hell on earth over these past couple years. But yet, still, this promise is not fulfilled. And I want to ask you, and really myself this, this morning, have we ever doubted or questioned the timing of God's provision in our life? Like, it's easy for us in these stories to look at this guy and be like, oh, man, doesn't he know God's going to provide? But let's, let's just be honest and put ourselves in his shoes. Like, have you ever doubted whether or not God's going to provide? Have you ever felt the pains and wondered, God, where are you? I remember when I was 16 years old, and, and I think you will understand where I'm going with this. I was 16 years old, and uh, I was getting ready to go on my first ever mission trip. I had just become a Christian a couple of years earlier. We had, as a family, we had just you know, recently started going to church in the past couple of years. And I, and I was so excited about my first opportunity to go to Mexico with my church youth group. And when they were telling us about the trip, they said the, the amount of money for the trip is gonna be $500. Well, at that time, to me, $500 seemed like something that was just insurmountable. I was working as a janitor at our school after school, making like, I don't know, five bucks an hour, six bucks an hour. So I'm like, I don't know, we am not going to have the time to make this money. So I remember just feeling, feeling, uh, feeling angst. Now, granted, uh, $500 wasn't something that I, I couldn't comprehend. But to me, as a 16 year old kid working as a janitor, $500 seemed like something that I may never reach. So, our youth pastor encouraged us to write letters to families, say, like, help a brother out, right? Like, I want to go to this mission trip. You know, I got no money. I'm 16. Obviously, it was worded differently, but that was, you know, basically the heart of it. And uh, I remember, like, it was yesterday. It was on a Wednesday night. My mom came and, and found me at a church, and she gave, she gave me a letter uh, from one of my grandmas. And this was a grandma who was an unbeliever, uh, who, and I wasn't even that close with. But I remember my grandma writing a note. It just says, she said something like, can I hope my right hand is know what my left hand is doing and have $500 in there. And I remember just as a kid, just being overwhelmed with joy for God using an unbelieving grandma to provide every single dollar I needed for that trip. And I realized that's something that's so little, but I think, if we were just to pause, and and even though we might be in a moment of questioning, God, have you or will you provide? I think we could easily look back and see time and time again where God has provided. For me, as a 16-year-old, that was was like the most incredible thing to have my grandma drop $500 in this note and say, you know, here you go. And maybe today you're you're, you're lacking a job. Maybe you're fighting an illness. You're unsure about your future. Maybe the job you have you're unhappy with. Maybe you're unfulfilled in your marriage and you're asking God, will you provide? I'm unsure about what to do. And I want to encourage you this morning that the gift of faith that God gives to us is to keep our eyes fixed on a person and not on the prize. I think so often we get so focused on what God will provide, instead of just focusing on Him, and that's what Abraham is doing here. He's he's looking at God and saying, "Hey, God, where's where's the thing you promised me?" Right? He's saying, "Hey, where's my kid?" Instead of just saying, "God, I'm just going to focus on you," you know. And when we start focusing on what God gives, instead of focusing on who He is, we measure. The presence of God in our lives by what we have instead of all that He's already prepared. When we learn in John 14 that God has sent His Son to go and prepare a place for us, when we understand the promises of Scripture that that Jesus is making all things new, it may be God's intention to cause us or to allow us some struggle in the moment. But does that mean that God has abandoned us? Does that mean that God isn't present? Do our struggles mean that God doesn't love us? Now, even though we may agree with that, Abraham here is showing us a real honest example of a dude who has obeyed, done what God told him to do, and yet here he is saying, God, where is what you've promised? And I wanna encourage us today that following God requires faith. He offers us extraordinary things, And there might be a little bit of an inner skeptic that sometimes causes us to say, God, where are all these extraordinary things you've offered to me? But when we start asking that question, we've started to focus on the prize or the product of what God will provide instead of God himself. That's dangerous, isn't it? Because then what happens is ultimately what we have becomes our God instead of God himself. Following God requires faith. Because God offers the extraordinary. But also following God requires faith because he guarantees the impossible. Look at what God tells Abraham here in verse 4. He doubles down on his promise to Abraham. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He says, This man, Eliezer, the, the basically the, your servant in your household, he's not going to be your heir. Who's going to be the heir of Abraham's household? He says, your very own son shall be your heir. He doesn't say, hey, well, I've made an alternative plan, right? God doesn't say, well, I've I've kind of arranged this side thing to work out. He doubles down on his promise to Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to make sure the promise I gave to you will be fulfilled. Your very own son will be your heir. He wants Abraham to understand that God can do the impossible. And maybe today you're asking, like, God, why can't we have children? How can I love the friend who betrayed me? Why am I stuck with the spouse who has deceived me? How and why should I care for someone who rejects me? Why should I trust you when I feel you've let me down? Like, those are all honest feelings that if we were to be really authentic, we, were, we maybe are or have been experiencing. And I don't want us to diminish those feelings. I don't want us to say, well, I just need to push those away. No, 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 no. We need to bring those to God. Because God has guaranteed to us the impossible. And following God, specifically following that promise of God, requires our faith to believe in God's timing. And in God's plans. Look what he does with Abraham here. He brings Abraham out of his tent, outside. And just imagine this moment. It's at night. There's no lights to distract the, 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 the night sky. And he tells Abraham to look toward heaven. And look what he tells him to do. What does he ask Abraham to do? Number the stars. You ever tried counting the stars before? I've tried a couple times. I'm not super intelligent, so I didn't make it very far. I don't think God was actually trying to have Abraham count. Well, let's see. One, two, I don't think God was looking for Abraham to actually count. To number, okay, if I have if there's that many stars in the sky, I can have more than children No, no, no. I don't think that's what God was doing here. I think God was wanting him to see basically an innumerable amount of stars and he says to him number the stars and if you are able to number them then he said to him said to them so shall your offspring be now this is a this is a an important moment not just in the life of Abraham but in our understanding of what a blessed people Truly is. Because Abraham has been confronted with all the promises of God that have been made very directly, explicitly to him. And as you've seen, there's some tension within, right? There's some inner turmoil of whether or not Abraham's going to believe what God promised he would do. And we have to understand that following God requires faith because he makes us offers that seem extraordinary. And he certainly guarantees the impossible. For Abraham, it was having a child as an old man with an old wife. For us, he's promised us that when we die, we would be resurrected from the dead. That we would spend forever with him. He's made promises to us that are extraordinary and and to us may seem impossible. So, how should we respond to this story and these truths? I'm gonna offer you just three things to consider for ways to respond to what we've seen here. First of all, even though we may question God's plans, we must focus on His promises. I think sometimes when we get in the middle of difficult situations, There's a little bit, maybe we experience guilt when we feel like we question God. You ever felt that way? Like when something's not going how you thought it would be or certainly how you want it to be. And you're questioning like, God, what are you doing? I think often we fear like like that's wrong to do. I find what's interesting. I don't think questioning God is wrong. Let Let me suggest why. In one of the most dynamic moments in all of Scripture... The very Son of God offers to his Father a question. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is facing the most difficult moment of his earthly experience, going to the cross as our substitute, do you know what he tells his Father in a prayer? He said, God, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, please do. In that moment of agony, of wondering, God, is this plan right? Jesus himself says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But notice what he then quickly follows that question with, a statement of resolve. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even though we may question God's plans, We have to remain focused on his promises. We have to believe that following God requires faith. And so we keep our eyes fixed on him. Number two, even though we will encounter difficult circumstances, we must believe God is present in our lives, regardless of our feelings. Like when we interact with difficult moments, or difficult circumstances, and we just feel bad, we're like, God, where are you? Like, I I don't feel good. And I, and I find this fascinating that even in the life of Jesus, he experienced extremely difficult moments, but yet God was still present. And Luke chapter four talks about right before Jesus was going to go into the wilderness to experience temptation from Satan. It says that Jesus was full of the spirit and he was led by the spirit. And you know where he was led to? Difficult circumstances. I think often when we we encounter difficulties in our life, we say, God, this isn't from you. But maybe it's exactly what God wants for us. And even though we don't like it, we cannot forget that God is present with us. And then what's, I I, I found this fascinating, I was sharing with some people this week, right after that wilderness experience where Jesus says no to Satan, goes 40 days without food and water, and then all of a sudden you have like this climactic moment where the angels come and minister him. He goes back to Nazareth for his first, like, ministry experience he goes back to his hometown he goes and preaches in the synagogue and you would expect that after that temptation being full of the spirit and the power of the spirit great things are going to happen in the life of jesus but guess what happens to jesus that crowd there says we don't want you they take him to the edge of town and try to throw him off the cliff like the very god and savior of this world was despised and rejected does that mean that God wasn't present in his life? So when we experience difficult circumstances, does that mean that God isn't present? Absolutely not. We must believe that God is present in our life regardless of our feelings. And thirdly here, even though we long, and we do long for the fulfillment of God's promises, we cannot forget and we must remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. Back in Genesis chapter 15, after God once again promises all of these things to Abraham, we learn so much about what it means to be a blessed people. So I want to point your attention to verse 6 of Genesis 15. And look what it says there in verse 6. It says and Abraham what? believed. He believed the Lord he believed the promises the Lord made to him. And I want us to take special note of God's response to this. And God counted it to him as what? As righteousness. Now, why is that so significant? I think there may be uh, a misunderstanding of what predicates man's relationship with God. I think so often when we read the Old Testament, we think that the works of God brought righteousness to the people of Israel. That's not the case. What we find here is that God's relationship with his people has always been predicated on faith, specifically faith in what God has told them to believe in. Right here, what was God telling Abraham to believe in? The promise of what? That he'd have an offspring. Now that definitely expands and we're gonna look at the expansion of what God tells his people to believe in, but it wasn't the works of Abraham that saved him because we've already seen Abraham work, haven't we? He left, he obeyed God, he went to a different country, he fought, he rescued Lot. We've seen dynamic obedience, but our work never saves us. There's nothing we could do that could earn the righteousness of God. When we see the blessed people of God, they are blessed not because of their work, but by faith. And Abraham is the father of this for us. And I find what's interesting is that so often, because we are people of faith, and we feel that tension of walking by faith and not by sight, we kind of long for like god if you just you know if you just just drop me a line or if you just give me something good like i just i just need you know like would you just show up for a minute but we have to remember that even though we long for the fulfillment of god's promises we must remember that we walk by faith and not by sight hebrews chapter 11 it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen and here we learn about these people abraham included It says, these people all died in what? They all died in what? In faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from where? Afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on on the earth. People who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What we find here is that it has always been in the blessed people of God that they are a people who live by faith. That's the same for us. Following God requires faith. And the beauty of walking through the story of Israel is that we see that we're not alone in this journey. That the blessed people of God have always been called to walk by faith. So if this morning you're here and you're like, I don't, this is tough. Like, how do I, how do we do this? You know, we, we all must rest, wrestle and reconcile with this tension of faith. Since following God requires faith, we who are believers while on earth will always possess this tension. Yeah, I think we need to pray like the father in Mark 9, the father who longs for Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son. This is what he says, to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, he says, all things are possible for one who believes. And I love this response of this man. I think it's so pertinent for us today. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. He says, help my unbelief. I believe but help my unbelief. That's the tension we're in. And I would encourage you this morning that that if you are wrestling with this tension of faith, that you would cry out in earnest and say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Because Matthew 7 says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open unto you. God is inviting you into a robust relationship with him based on faith. And if you have never experienced that for the first time, let me invite you into that relationship today. Wouldn't it be amazing that if you walked out of here today knowing that you for once and for all, believe the promises of God for your salvation. There could be nothing greater today than if you are an unbeliever to be a believer in what God has promised. And if you today are a believer who is struggling, where you're questioning the promises and plans of God in your life, why not you just join me in being like this dad and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because following God requires faith. He offers to us the extraordinary. He guarantees the impossible. And even though we may not see the fulfillment of all those promises of God in this life, we're not alone in that. But yet we have so much awaiting for us. God has prepared immeasurable, innumerable riches in heaven with Jesus. So what an amazing moment it would be today we all walked out of here with the prayer, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief.